Our reading from the Old Testament comes to us from Isaiah chapter 42. You will notice a theme in the scriptures we've read about freedom from the bondage and the dungeon of the Lord. Here we have also a promise from the Lord for freedom from those things. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now we turn to the New Testament, our passage for the sermon, and that is Matthew chapter uh, 8. We will be beginning with verse 28 to the end of the chapter. Again, the word of the Lord, Matthew eight twenty-eight. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two, demoni- two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Behold, all the city came out to meet him, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And now the first verse of the next chapter. Getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for giving us your word. It is a light for our feet, and here a clear beacon to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and his majesty. We pray, O Lord, that the meditations of our hearts upon this rich passage will be pleasing in your sight to do us good, O Lord, and build us up. And may the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the second 
of three short sections in the Gospel of Matthew uh, that began in the previous passage that we worked with. We actually divided it into two. There was a prologue, and that was verses 18 through 22. And then the real, the incident that is the first episode, and that's 23 to 27. We did those in two separate weeks. But our passage, you know, this section really begins uh, that impacts the passage we're dealing with in verse 18, where the Lord, uh, we read this, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side. And that's the context of the passage we're looking at. He commanded. It is a pretty strong word there. So the calming of the storm was the first display of the Lord's authority and power. And then this is the second one. And then the third one bleeds into chapter 9. And if I were king, I would re-chapter our Bible and have have a division there. But they didn't ask me in 1551 when all that stuff was invented. but you should know that this is, this is the uh, texture of Matthew's gospel. Uh, and we're right in the middle of this. And actually, it's building up. Because one of the things that you learn about the gospels is they're an unfolding story as a whole. And you want to track these things uh, and uh, understand where we're at in the unfolding of the gospel story. And that's where we're at. We're in the second uh, display of the Lord's authority. This is what's going on in the passage we're dealing with. Now, this started here with Jesus' command to cross over the Sea of Galilee, and we saw that last week. And the the question arises, why does he do this? Um, He was in an area in Capernaum. This is a city he's familiar with. He has uh, probably family there. Certainly, this is where Peter has a house, we're told. Uh, so so there, it, it's a, a nice place to stay. We're only told in verse 18 that there were crowds crowding around him, um, which is, you, you would think, well, that would be a good thing, right? If he wants to become famous and, you know, have the message spread around, the more people, the better. But Jesus finds that it, it's okay, but part of it is, They're crowding around him in some cases for the wrong reason. That comes out in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, They want to be physically healed, but they have no interest in his gospel proclamation and what he's really up to. And right here, we start seeing what he's really up to. That's going to be the conclusion of what we're dealing with this passage uh, today, is we we start seeing what he's really up to. And uh, the fact that Jesus commanded his disciples to go across is uh, very important because he's going to a Gentile area. This is, this is you know, we, we read it's the Gadarene area. This is actually called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities, which is a Greek word for the Ten Cities in that area. These are semi-independent cities that have a Greek complexion. Um, and they are essentially Gentile area. Now, you may have Jewish people living there, but notice we have a herd of pigs. These are not kosher. So you would expect not to have a lot of Jewish people, certainly not faithful Jewish people, 
uh, hanging around with a place that has this big herd of pigs. Uh, so he is going to a Gentile area. And brothers and sisters, this is the start of an invasion. That is what he's up to. And that will come, come clear when we start looking at what's going on in our passage. So he, he wanted to dip into this Gentile area to show us what he came to do. And we start seeing a glimpse of that here. Um, and so um, as you hear this text unfolded, keep that in mind. He's showing us what he's doing. Now, you will perhaps hear, and, and I, maybe you've never heard this and it's not important to you, but some of you might. You might be in circles where people will tell you that, well, this is an error on Matthew's part. The gathering area is not really near the Sea of Galilee. So this is a mistake in Matthew. Uh, he just got his geography mixed up. Well, one of the things you do when you study the ancient world is you grant the people who live back there know what they're talking about with geography and such. I mean, it's just kind of an assumption. Uh, you know, uh, it's giving them the benefit of the doubt that they know what they're doing because this is their world. It's sort of like, you know, you and I talking about, oh, yeah, I'm from this area. And you say, well, it's not exactly right. Well, I'm from the country. You know, there's, it's the nearest town. So I used to do this when I lived in a certain area to the south of us that I can't name in this, in this Oregonian place, but it was in a, in a state that started with a C. Uh, and I used to tell people I live in San Diego. Well, technically I didn't. We lived about 40 miles northeast of San Diego proper, uh, but I won't tell you where we lived. Uh, so this is, this is, you know, Technically, I was wrong. I didn't live in San Diego, but, you know, they didn't know Valley Center, you know, the place where we actually lived. And that's what we have here. Now, there's something that, that the people who, you know, criticize Matthew, they don't keep in mind. Uh, and this is really important for studying the ancient world, and that is you can't really have a lot of big cities. Their agriculture was not that efficient. And so if you have a city, you have people there who are eating, by the way, and they're eating produce from the, the surrounding area. So what you have is cities controlled the surrounding area. It was under their authority, and they made sure that the produce from that area, the, the, the grain crops, the wine and the oil, that it went to the city and not somewhere else. So they actually supervised this and guaranteed it so that their population of these towns wouldn't starve to death, which was a real problem at times. So when you say the gathering area, you're not talking about the city itself. You're talking about an area controlled for the sake of feeding the populace. So it could actually be a pretty big area. Ephesus, for example, the ancient city from Ephesians, had 120 square miles that they controlled. How do I know that? There were boundary markers that were uh, chiseled on stone, and we, we, we have them, we can see them. Uh, these boundary markers locate their territory, so we know how big it was, a really big area, and that's for the sake of uh, feeding the populace. And what we have here in our episode in Matthew 8 is this herd of pigs those pigs are 
owned by the city people, probably. This is their food. Uh, this, is, this is their bacon uh, and ham and ribs uh, so that they can survive. Uh, people didn't eat a lot of meat in antiquity, but having these pigs was a good deal for them. And the, the herdsmen here are probably slaves owned by the people in the city. This is just normal from, for this uh, time and place. Well, when we look at this episode now, we see round one. This is the opening round, uh, and it's these demons. Now, it's, if, you, if you want to read the parallel accounts in Mark and Luke, you will find them quite a bit bigger than, these, than what Matthew's providing. Very interesting, because Matthew is a very long gospel, and Mark is a very short one. But Mark's account of this is about twice as big as Matthew's. It's quite interesting. Uh, provides a lot more detail. Um, but we're going to focus on just what Matthew teaches us because it has its own power and importance that Matthew is showing us. First of all, uh, Jesus in Israel does encounter demons. Uh, they are in Israel itself, which is, you know, quite frankly, shocking. Um, and uh, very, very bad. But interestingly, he goes across to this Gentile area. Well, this is essentially uh, the, the territory and the turf that the demons have carved out for a long, long time. And many of you, 2,000 years ago, your ancestors were under the control of this world, the, the kingdom of darkness, this is where my ancestors came from. We all were under this darkness, like we read in Colossians. So this is a serious, uh, seriously dark area. That's why you have these demons here. Now, it says that these demons were very fierce. No one could pass by the way um, in the country of the demoniacs. We know from elsewhere that they were in the tombs uh, and they have come out to meet Jesus. Now, this word for meet is the same word used for a military conflict. Um, and you will find it, for example, in Luke 14. Let me read that for you. Luke 14, 31. What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. This is a conflict of two armies, and they are going to meet. This is this word that we find here. Now, you know from Matthew, and or big pardon, from Mark and Luke, that Jesus asked the name of the, of the demons, and they say legion. That's like saying battalion. This is a military division. So they identify themselves with this military designation. And this is a violent conflict. They come out to meet Jesus and to have a fight. Uh, they are, in the words of Matthew, exceedingly violent. Um, in our translation, the ESV here, so fierce, no one could pass by. They are in this unclean area. They are violent, uh, fierce, uh, battle-hardened, in a sense, demons. 
who have taken control of an area such that everybody around them is living in fear of them. And this is what they wanted. They wanted to establish and carve out their own territory. And then look what they say to the Lord of glory who comes up. Verse 29, what have you to do with us, O son of God? This, this is a really hard expression to translate. What have you to do with us? It's something like this. What are you doing here in our turf? This is, this is not right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't belong here. We, we don't have any dealings here. And notice how they qualified. Have you come here to torment us before the time? The demons are confused by Jesus. They didn't expect him to come in this way, to make this foray into their turf. And so they come out to meet him, hoping to chase him off with their fierceness. And look what they say. Oh, so it, it's actually kind of a pitiful claim. You know, what have you to do with us? Oh, son of God, have you come to torment us before the time? And look how effective it is. It's not effective at all. They don't have much of a defense, which is the point, brothers and sisters. It's the point that with the Son of God, whom they identify, notice, O Son of God, they know who he is. They have no defense. Has he come before the time to bring judgment on the world? Well, that's a good question. Because Jesus did come to bring in judgment on some of his enemies, but not all of them. Praise God for us. And then you have these pigs who really act kind of like scapegoats. We'll look at that later. But now we have round two. Round two is the people. The people of the city. So the herdsmen, the, uh, as you know, the herd of pigs race down the steep bank and they're all drowned. And presumably, the demons, their big plan to preserve their time controlling the area through the pigs is dashed to pieces when these pigs race off the the cliff down into the water and are drowned, then, then the demons have no place to be anymore. And this is, this is a big failure. This is not much of a battle. It's not much of a fight at all. They, they lose before they start, as it were. And their, you know, their battle seems to be over with. But then you have these people come out. So the herdsmen go to the town and they tell the people. Interestingly, the herdsmen tell them about the demon-possessed men. Interestingly. The focus is not on the pigs, but on the demon-possessed men. Um, and frankly, what you would expect from these people is compassion on these demon-possessed men that they were freed from the bondage to Satan, and their whole area now is rid of this menace terrorizing their countryside, and they would simply write off the pigs. 
But here's how Matthew has shaped our narrative. There are three places where there's a repetition of worry. Hear this and how it flows. First, the demons come out to meet Jesus. Verse 28. The people come out to meet Jesus. Then you have the people, the demons meet Jesus, this military term, and then we're told in verse 34, the people met Jesus. It's, it's a word related exactly to that military term. That's verse 34. They met him. It's the same kind of military term. The demons then begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. The people begged Jesus to go away. The people are still allies with the demons. That's what Matthew's telling us. These people are still under the bondage to death. Not the demoniacs, but the people of this city are still bound in the kingdom of darkness. They show no care for this poor demon-possessed men. They don't really care about the threat of violence in their area. They simply ask Jesus to leave. And then you have one of the saddest verses in the Bible. So Jesus left. And what do they get? Dead pigs. That's their, that's their reward. A bunch of dead pigs. Brothers and sisters, this is the way it is in our blindness. Preferring dead pigs to the King of glory and eternal life and freedom from the shackles of death. That's, that can't be true of you. You have to daily thank God that you have been, that the bonds of your death have been burst by the Lord of glory and his freedom that he offers. And if you don't know him, Today is the day of freedom for you to come to the Lord. This is the day. This is the day of freedom announced to you. But this is only round one. <laughs> this is only the first part of the story. This, Matthew is going to unfold. Because Jesus is later in Matthew going to say this to people. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what Jesus is introducing, the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? It is the new creation. It's a new heavens and a new earth with eternal life and resurrected people who will live forever in the presence of God, freed from sin. That's what Jesus came to do. And he's giving us a glimpse of that in this episode. That that's what he came to do. You, you think, boy, look at all the healing. Yeah, that's good. But there are signs of what he's really up to. What he's really up to is eternal life for his people. To free us from the shackles of death and those bars that can't be burst by us. And then to transfer us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Colossians 1, which we read earlier. And Psalm 107, about breaking the bonds. All that stuff we read earlier, this is what keys here. Now, brothers and sisters, I would declare to you that the power of Jesus is displayed in one word. 
in our, in our text. There's just one word that shows the power of our Savior. If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, here's the word to remember. <laughs> here's the place to go to. This is that, this is that verse 32. It's just one word. In this episode, Jesus only says one word. Everybody else is talking and doing something and running around. <laughs> and he just says one word. Go. That's all he says in this whole narrative. Go. <laughs> he commands, go. This is, our, this is our Lord in his power. Go. No, you go. Not much of a fight. He shows his, his authority. This is the Son of God in his might. He says a word and it happens. You're praying, you're coming before this same one, raised to the right hand of the Father, who has the same authority to speak a word for you. This is, what, this is who he is. He's displaying to you who he is. And you know what? He could have said something more, because it's going to happen in Matthew. He could have said, I'll be back. <laughs> he could have told those people in the gathering area, okay, I'll leave now but I'll be back. Because brothers and sisters, he came back. He sent his spirit into the world to transform the coastlands. And you know where the coastlands are in the Bible? It means the far-flung area that no one even knows about. <laughs> Corvallis, Oregon. The Land Valley. This, the, we are the coastlands in the Bible. We are those far-flung, unimaginable foreign territory that God now claims, this is mine. This is my turf. This is my place. And then what's interesting is as Matthew further unfolds, and this is why I said, he, he could have said, I'll be back. It's chapter 10 of Matthew. Then he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease, and he sends them out. He sends out the 12 to train them because they will go out and spread the gospel word once Christ is raised from the dead. This is, this is the world we now live in. You and I live in the world where Jesus is king. He may have ascended to the Father's throne. That's so that he can display his power from there and direct everything that happens in the world. This is whom we serve. So when we pray that his kingdom will come and his will be done on earth as in heaven. We know he's going to answer that. There will be a day. But until then, we pray that he will bring his glory into this area to bring many into the knowledge of the truth and the joy of eternal life that we enjoy here. Some of you have heard that the devil can oppress you. Brothers and sisters, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, he cannot. Demons cannot oppress you. You may be tempted, but that's, that's not the same as being possessed by a demon. You cannot be possessed by a demon if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what the Lord says in 1 John 4, 4. Excuse me, wrong book. 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let us pray to the Lord, giving him our thanks for his victory over death and sin, that we might have life. We will have our congregational prayer now and then the Lord's Prayer at the end. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for the great victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your mercies, which are ever new. We thank you, O Lord, for this wonderful passage displaying the might and authority of the Son of God who came to free us from death and sin. O Lord, you say that sorcerers have no place in the kingdom of God. Here are those demoniacs who undoubtedly were sorcerers, and they, they received the just recompense for their sin. They were possessed by demons. But here the Lord Jesus came, and he freed them, O Lord, of his mercy. We pray, O Lord, that you would free many in our area from whatever binds them in darkness, that we would see many in the Willamette Valley and elsewhere in this area come into the knowledge of the truth, to come to confess Jesus and to come into eternal life and the joy that is found here in the Lord's fellowship. Have you as our God and not the God of the world. 